The only concierge I knew before this interview was the kind you'd have at a nice hotel. Turns out there's also direct-to-patient doctors who tailor their office and styles to fit your unique care and needs. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Dr. Robin Hall. Robin is the now-retired founder of a concierge medical practice with over 30 years of total practice time. The big draw in these practices is to get away from only going to the doctor when you're sick, instead going regularly, receiving education and real-time adjustments based on how things are with you. It does have a distinctly higher cost, but, as we'll hear, it weirdly balances out with standard insurance rates if you're the average person who perhaps just needs insurance for an emergency and wants more frequent care from a primary physician. Let's see if personalized doctors fit our lifestyles. Welcome to the show, Dr. Robin Hall. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Well, um, as you said, I'm Dr. Robin Hall. I am a board-certified family physician. I have over 30 years in clinical practice, and uh, the last uh, last 17 of which have been in a concierge practice called Destination Health. I retired from full-time practice in April of 2022, and I am doing uh, speaking and working on a book right now. Um, I am still utilizing my mission, and that is to help others live a healthier life. I'm just doing it in a different way. Yeah. And there's an interesting term in there that you said that we're going to be talking about today is concierge medicine. Mm-hmm. And what is concierge medicine? Well, concierge medicine is a different type of medical model. Um, it's a unique healthcare model. And there are a lot of different models. Not every concierge practice is the same. And that's a misconception that a lot of people have. I've had people that were patients of ours move to other parts of the country, and then they write us and say, well, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. But all of them are different unless you're with a franchise. And um, the franchise, of course, would have more uh, centralized and items that they would do in their group that maybe other ones wouldn't do. But the difference is instead of the sick care model, which is what we call the managed care model, this and, and sick care, what I mean by that is it's acute and it's episodic. So you tend to only go to the doctor when you're sick. Where concierge medicine is more of a continuous, personalized type medical model. And we spend more time on education and lifestyle optimization and looking for the root cause of illness so that you can catch it before the disease ever starts. Uh, One of the other differences is in most primary care doctors take several thousand patients. And when I say primary care, usually I'm talking about family practice or internal medicine. 
in the concierge model, we take less. And you can see some practices taking from 200 up to 600 patients, but it's still a lot less than what they did before. And so what that allows is them to spend more time with each person. It allows them to get to know that person and all about their medical history. And it's very rewarding, not only for the patient, but also for the doctor, because we feel like we're getting to do what we were trained to do. Now, um, another difference is that most concierge practices don't take insurance. Some of them will utilize insurance for certain testing, like lab work and things like that. Others don't take it at all. And so it is over and above what the person is paying for their medical insurance, but they can still use their medical insurance for, for instance, when they go to the pharmacy to pick up their prescription, they use their insurance for that. If they're in the hospital, they use their insurance for that. Or um, if they're referred to a subspecialist, like a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist and have to have testing done, they're still utilizing it for that. They're just not using it towards the membership fee. And different membership fees include different things. At our practice, you had an executive physical that lasted three to four hours. We included a lot of diagnostic tests, flu shot, 24-7, uh, you can call the doctor. And uh, we had a lot of other things that were included. All the office visits were included. Um, there are very few things that cost over and above. But like I said, all of them are a little bit different. You know, in managed care, the insurance companies unfortunately dictate a lot of what we do. And that's very frustrating <laughs> when they're telling you what medicines you can use and you have to do all these charting protocols and um, they don't reimburse for in-depth visits. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you go to the doctor and maybe you've got three or four things you want to talk about, but they tell you, I can only talk about this one thing. Well, the reason is, is they're limited in time and the insurance will only reimburse for that one issue. And those kind of things in managed care used to drive me crazy. And that's one of the reasons that I switched to concierge medicine, uh, amongst other things. It seems like you're very much, you know, getting to know the person, like you said, and really spending a lot of time on, you know, their personal concerns, as opposed to, like you said, where it's an acute thing, like I came in because I have this cold and I've been coughing. Like that is a, a good general primary care doctor thing. Whereas your concierge is like, oh, I see you're getting sick. You know, have we looked at you know your family history of things and to see the a larger picture? Exactly. We really look at the root cause of what the problem is. You know, when I was in my residency, I did some moonlighting for urgent care. And that was very frustrating for me because basically by the people that owned the urgent care clinic, you're expected to walk in with your prescription pad and be ready to write a prescription for every ill. And uh, that is just not the way that I was trained or the way that I wanted to practice. I don't think that every physician has the right personality to be a concierge physician and so we need, we need all types of doctors. We need doctors that are in the managed care model. We need doctors that are in the concierge model. 
Um, I am very much relationship oriented. I'm an empath and I really like to look for the underlying cause of illness and I like to focus on prevention. And that was, that's just not something that you can do in the other model. Do you want me to tell you kind of how I ended up changing over to that model? Yeah, absolutely. So when I got out of residency, I had that entrepreneurial bug and I started my first practice, which was called Colleyville Family Medicine. We're in between the Dallas and Fort Worth area. And uh, I, I enjoyed that practice, but I ended up getting bought out by a large hospital system. I didn't really want to sell, but I knew that I couldn't compete against them for managed care dollars. What a lot of your listeners may not know is that each entity has to negotiate for what their reimbursement is. So a solo doctor is not going to have the negotiating power that a big group does. So I sold to the big hospital corporation and I worked for them as their lead physician for 10 years. But it it got very frustrating for me because if you walked into my office, you would see piles of charts everywhere. Now, this was before we had electronic medical records. There would be piles of charts everywhere, and I would spend more time on paperwork than I would being able to see the patient. And less and less time was devoted to seeing the patient. Um, I wasn't trained to put my stethoscope on a pile of charts. I was trained to put my stethoscope on the patient's chest. And so I was, my attitude was not so good. And I was frustrated because that's just not what I was trained to do. Um, And so one day, I guess the straw that broke the camel's back is a young woman scheduled at the front desk to be seen for a sore throat. And for those acute visits, you would have less than 15 minutes to see them. So I walk into the patient's room expecting to see this young lady for a sore throat, only to find her in tears. And she revealed to me that the reason she was really there is she had been date raped and she hadn't told anybody about it. Well, I couldn't just pat her on the hand and say, I'm really sorry that that happened to you, but I have to move on to the next patient. I mean, she deserved my time and attention. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize about family medicine. You know, we have three-year residencies um, and we're not there just taking care of colds and flus. We take care of everything. And and that this is a case in point, a date rape situation. And so I just kept thinking something's got to change. I've got to get to a place where I can really take care of these people the way they deserved and the way I would want to be treated. And so interestingly enough, several weeks later, I don't remember exactly how long, but I was invited to go to a lunch at a nice Italian restaurant by a man in the community who knew about me, and he wanted to talk to me about my interest in joining a concierge franchise. And uh, so I went with him, and as I was listening to him talk about this whole unique model that I'd never heard of, I remember them bringing the bread, and I was buttering the bread, and the light bulb came on. And I said, this is it. This is what I can do that's different. But I didn't want to join a franchise model. I wanted to do my own model. 
And that comes from my business background. When I went to college, I actually got my degree in biology and business. And at the time, people thought that was kind of crazy. In fact, the university president's going to do open up a drugstore. And uh, but it was actually one of the smartest things that I've done. And I was actually in the business world for four years before I went to medical school. So the whole entrepreneur bug was in my system from the first practice to the second practice. But this was just a a very exciting opportunity for me. Um, And so after I had lunch with that gentleman, I went home and told my husband, guess what? I want to quit my job and start all over again. You you have to understand I was 48 years old at the time. So I had a lot of naysayers, people saying, what in the world are you thinking? You've been in a successful practice for years. You've been closed to new patients. You're making a good income. Why would you start all over again and have no income and get into debt? Because you have to borrow money unless you've got a wealthy uncle to start a a new business and get into these um, territories that nobody knows anything about. And let me tell you, the bankers were a hard sell too. They thought it was a very high risk proposition because nobody knew about that. This was early 2005, but I was able to um, quit, quit my job. I got the funding and started Destination Health at the end of 2005 and started seeing patients at the beginning of 2006. Yeah, and there's a huge difference in there where you said, like, you know, this this very critical patient that needed my attention came to me, and I can't just say, like, oh, well, time's up, you know, got to move on. I know you're, you kind of signed up for, like, a five to ten minute time slot. I was just supposed Mm -hmm. to be in and out. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't do it just being a decent human like exactly do it and so you're like what am i doing why am i rushing around like this and not like i'm just kind of bulk treating people and i'm you know throwing things at the wall at a certain point that's a big thing to realize it really is it really is and i think that so many people think that all we do is take care of colds and flus but it's deeper than that and You know, I remember after seeing the first patient in the concierge practice, I stepped outside of that room and just smiled to myself because I just spent about 45 minutes with that individual and uncovered things that I know I wouldn't have uncovered in the other model. And so I was so glad that I took that leap of faith and was able to do that because I know that I've made diagnoses and saved lives that I wouldn't have if I'd been in the other situation. And um, unfortunately, not everybody can access this model, Um, but for those that can and for doctors who have that calling, I think it's very rewarding. And that's an interesting point is, you know, there is a cost difference and insurance doesn't apply to these. Why is that? Like, why aren't there plans out there that we can get that just says like, oh yeah, this is my care model. I choose, you know, concierge and it has a higher deductible or whatever else comes with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, except just, you know, with insurance companies, it's all about volume and that's what you do in a managed care model. You're trading volume for reimbursement. So you get lower reimbursement you have to see more patients 
and spend less time with them in order to do that. Um, unfortunately, there's so many layers in with insurance companies, and that just adds to the expense. I don't want to get into all the politics of that, but um, I think it's just a, a very complicated situation. Yeah, of course. I think our, our healthcare system in general falls into that category mm-hmm, where it is mm-hmm. just a bit complex. But you know, one, right, one of the other benefits that people enjoy that they don't think about until they need it but most concierge physicians are available 24-7 on call. And so people, that was another thing the naysayer said, why do you want to be on call 24-7? You're not going to get any sleep. Well, what I learned is that when you're able to spend more time with people, seldom do they need to call you at night. And when they do, they usually should be calling you at night because it's something that is urgent that they need your help for. And uh, so I never found that to be a burden. Uh, It is stressful because you're always feeling like you have to be on because you never know if you're going to get called. But that's one of the benefits. And you know that physician or provider and they know you. So you're not having to repeat your whole medical history to a stranger. And people really enjoy that. And they also find the access is so much better. I found when I first started the practice, you know, I would try to hire a marketing person, but nobody knew how to market it because in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there wasn't anything like that. I was one of the first in this area and in the entire country. Um, And so there was a lot of trial and error on how to get people to really understand what we were offering. But as time went on, I found out that there were basically three types of clients that would be drawn to concierge medicine. The first were those people that were tired of feeling like a number. They would go into a busy managed care practice. No one would ever call them by name. They wouldn't even remember if they'd been there the week before. And they couldn't get through to talk to a real person on the telephone even And um, maybe they need to get a refill or have a question answered and they might not even get a call back for a day or two. Um, Also, people that wanted to have more a personalized approach and have that relationship with the doctor. When I started out, I actually had people coming in that told me, use those words. I want to have a personal relationship with the doctor. And then the second type are people that are more prevention oriented. So people that are really interested in eating healthy and exercising and all the anti-aging things that you hear about, um, those individuals really wanted that direction. And then the third type are those that needed greater access because of their schedules. So I took care of a lot of entrepreneurs or CEOs for big corporations, and they were very busy. Maybe they're traveling all the time. Sometimes they don't even know what their schedule was like. So it was nice for them to be able to call that morning and say, I'm flying in at two o'clock this afternoon, and I've had this happen. Can I come in? And um, 99% of the time, we could see them that same day, unless it was later in the day. 
And uh, in our practice, we really had a team approach. I had um, a nurse practitioner that helped a lot too. She's very good with patient education. And so when we talk about those three-hour physicals, a lot of that was spent in education. Not only would we have already done a lot of diagnostic tests ahead of time and then really reviewed the medical history and done a very thorough head-to-toe exam. This is not just listening to the heart and lungs, which unfortunately a a lot of doctors call that a physical exam, but this is looking at the skin, doing the neurological exam, musculoskeletal exam, ears, nose, and throat, the whole bit, hearing test, body mass index. And so the rest of the time we would be going over all those results with the person and then coming up with a personalized plan for them. And then you have follow-up appointments. And so the measure of our success in concierge medicine is retention, because at any time someone could say, well, I'm not going to pay for that next year, and they could walk away. And when people weren't having to come in because they're sick, that tells you that you're doing something right when you're keeping them healthy. So those are those are some of the ben- additional benefits that there are. Yeah, and I assume they kind of feel better about scheduling because they're like, oh, well, this is already a service that, you know, I pay for, that's covered, that's whatever. I kind of have some ownership that I feel like, you know, I can just ask to come in because I, I'm already a part of this and I'm not exactly another cog where I'm like, oh, do you have another 15 minutes? You can just j- wedge me in between two other patients. <laughs> Well, and it felt like uh, just a big family because, you know, not just me or the other doctor knowing the person's name, the whole team knows the person's name and knows their idiosyncrasies. Like this person doesn't like to come in before nine o'clock or this person wants a water waiting for them when they come in. You know, it was that that type of five star VIP treatment as well. Sure. And I assume this is something that is done kind of everywhere right like this isn't unique to texas it's not unique to you know one part of the country it's kind of done all over the u.s it is now um when i started like i said there were very few it started out as a franchise in the late 1990s and um but now they're just about every state i know that there's more than twelve thousand concierge physicians and Some of them are now in franchises, and then there's some solo or um, small groups like I had. Okay. And then as far as, I know, obviously, it's a very broad scale when you talk like, oh, all states. Like, that's a very different kind of scale to work on. But what is the usual cost someone is doing to put into this? Well, it varies very widely. There are some that uh, charge a monthly fee, some charge a yearly fee, some have discounts if it's the whole family that's joined. And uh, so I've heard everywhere from like 1500 a year up to the $20,000 mark. And a lot of that depends on how many patients they're taking as well. We would only take 200 per physician. When I first started, I thought that I would take around 350 or so, which is very low when you think about what a usual family doctor sees. But again, that's a different model. But I added a lot of different um, services 
genetics, a heart attack and stroke prevention protocol, and peptide therapy, a lot of different things. And so I learned very quickly that I couldn't take that many patients and deliver what I promised. Some of the concierge practices have failed because they either weren't in the right demographic group or they took on too many people and they couldn't deliver what they promised. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of variables in it. And I think the fact that I had the business background really helped me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's a lot to consider in there because, mm-hmm. it, like you said, that's a wide scale. If you were mm-hmm. talking, oh, I'm paying $20,000 a year to go to my concierge medical, I have to assume it is a extremely upscale facility. Right. Where you're like, yes, we have all of the latest and greatest. We're going to take care of you, you know, nonstop. We're going to constantly be on you about your personal health. Mm-hmm. And we're here all the time as well. Like, you know, that's going to be a very right. large service that you're kind of expecting to pay a pretty high upper dollar amount. For. Right. We, we did a lot of, uh, in fact, I even um, did a dinner one night and asked some of our clients, what is it about our practice that you feel is just really sp- special? And they said the compassion that we really cared about them and that we kept them coming in and getting their preventive test they didn't have to worry about it. They knew that we would be saying, hey, you know, it's time for your pap smear or it's time for you to have this vaccination or whatever. Whereas at other places, they usually don't do that kind of follow up. And so they knew that they were being well taken care of. They also knew that we had state of the art equipment and offerings that most people didn't even know about were way way ahead of the curve on that. Yeah, and I'm obviously, I am part of the mass treatment club. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't even get like yearly messages where it says, hey, your physical's up, like time to do a yearly physical. They just like assume that I know I need to do those things. And they're like, you'll schedule it when you need it. That's exactly the way most of them is. And, And I... Please don't get me wrong, because I don't fault anybody, any doctor or patient that is in that model, because, you know, our insurance is under my husband's business, and that was an HMO plan, and we're very happy to have that insurance plan, um, because everybody needs good health care, but it's just another opportunity, and, you know, some of the naysayers said, well, it's only for the rich. It's only for the wealthy. But that's not actually true because, like I said, there are different price ranges and people will pay for what's important to them. I've had people say, oh, well, I think that's too expensive. But they're the same people that are a member of a country club and they might drive a Ferrari or, you know, take exotic vacations. You know, people will pay more for going to a concert than what it might cost them for a monthly fee for the doctor's office. So it it just really, if you stop and think about it, we usually pay for what's important to us. And um, unless it's just totally out of reach for our, what we're making it for our salary. 
Sure. And that's very, you know, particular to you. If you're someone that has a lot of chronic health issues, like this may be a way more beneficial service than to just, you know, bother spending your time in the other system. You're like, I need somebody who is on top of it because I know I've got, you know, a lot of health concerns and I'm going to be in there frequently. Like I need somebody who knows me and who's going to spend the time to figure things out with me. You know, that's, that's very important for some people. You know, one of the things that um, you, you brought up a good point, people that have chronic illnesses, if they're going to a managed care model practice and they're having to make multiple visits because they can only be seen for one thing at each visit, they're having to pay a copay each time. They're having to take off work each time. And there may not be continuity of care because if you're in a big group practice, you may not even see your same doctor every time. You may be seeing someone else. So for some people, if they sit down and look at how much time they're taking off work, how many copays they're having to have, they may be getting referred to a whole bunch of different doctors because that doctor doesn't have time to take care of it. You know, sometimes they find it's more cost effective. And I mentioned a lot of entrepreneurs would come to us, and that's because they were, a lot of them are self-insured, so they have more of a catastrophic health insurance and a high deductible plan. So they would use us, the concierge practice, as all their preventive care, but they still had that insurance that they would really need if they ended up having to go to the hospital, because that's where the prices really skyrocket. If you have a hospitalization or you have cancer and you have to have chemotherapy or something like that. Yeah. And that's something that's very American is to mm -hmm. have like, we have to have healthcare insurance and we have to have like care about our deductibles and our premiums and all these other things. Do you see concierge medicine popping up in other countries? You know, I know that well, I have a relative that lives in London and you can either be in the socialized, you know, medicine arena or you can pay for a private physician. And I've talked to people in a couple of other countries and it's that way, too. There are some private physicians. They just pay if they want better access, because in the socialized system, Sometimes it can be months before you can even be seen, you know, like for a knee replacement or something like that, that's really bothering you. And so I haven't heard that it's actually called concierge, but I know that there are private doctors that they can see separately. There's also something called direct primary care that's different than concierge medicine, but it's more of a fee-based type model. And um, so, and the other thing is that some of the concierge practices take all age groups. In ours, we started with the teenagers at age 15 and up. So we weren't doing newborn visits or children's visits. It was more of an adult preventive care practice. And so you did that for quite a while, like you said, you know. You yes, over 17 years. And you know, it's it's not all a panacea. I'm going to be totally transparent. There are a lot of adversities that I had to face during that time. Um, I, was, I mentioned I started seeing patients at the first of 2006. Well, guess what? 2008 rolls along and now we're in a recession. And here I am with this uh, model that no one's heard of. 
But fortunately, we made it through that adversity. Uh, my revenue never went backwards. And so I'm very proud of that. Um, I had family tragedies. My mother had a protracted illness and, and died during that time. And then a few years later, my husband, both of his parents and his brother died within a nine month period. And then my husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then I was diagnosed with cancer in 2021. And so being a female, a mom, a wife, a daughter, and an entrepreneur running a business, having responsibility to feed all of my staff, you know, their, their income was dependent on me. And all of the patients that have paid to have the personal physician, it was quite stressful to handle all of that. And so um, as wonderful as it was, there were, there were definitely um, adversities and things that I had to deal with along the way. Yeah. And you kind of eventually made that decision for you personally, where you're like, you know, I, I love being there for my patients and I've enjoyed what I've built, but it is time for me to kind of step back away from this to embrace like you spending time with family while I can, because it's just not, it's not granted, you know, freely. So you kind of, have that's, to that's exactly what happened in the fall of 2021. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and my husband's older than I am, and he's been fighting non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for six years. He's had three different chemo regimens. And uh, when that happened with me and I was out of work for three months, I just felt like it was time for me to be the concierge for myself. I, have, I for the past 30 years, have been taking care of everyone else. And it was time for me to take care of myself as much as I still love seeing patients. I love the whole problem solving and their relationships. Um, like you said, we are not guaranteed tomorrow and we wanted time to stop and smell the roses and enjoy our lives. And so I was very, very fortunate. The doctor that wor had worked for me for the two years prior um, bought the practice, Dr. Ducharme, and he's wonderful. He and I are like-minded and he's carrying on the legacy. And I work for him a few days a month and come in and do the well woman visits. And then I'm working with doing these podcasts and speaking and working on my book. So like I say, I don't feel like I've lost my passion or purpose or my mission. I'm just doing it in a different way. Yeah. You're just looking at it through a personal lens now where you're like, mm -hmm. I've, I've done the business side. I already, I ran my own thing. I've seen all the patients. Mm -hmm. Like now I'm going to do it for me on a schedule that works for me on a, you know, you, it, you've just taken a personal concierge. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And that's great. So now that you're out doing some of these, you know, publicities and you're writing your book, how is all that going? What's the, what's the idea? It's going great. We've been uh, we've been able to travel, and uh, I'm spending a lot of time on the book. The book is called "The Other Side of Illness: Unexpected Blessings," and I originally started this book years ago after a health adversity that I had, and 
I had to put it aside because I was just too busy to write it. But I think that was divine intervention because now I have over 30 years of practice history. And what I've learned is that in all the patients that I watched and friends and stories that I'm getting from across the country, a lot of people have gone through some really tough health challenges, but have seen that remarkable positive things have come from it that would not have happened had they not gone through that journey. And that's what the book is about. It's a compilation of these stories. It's not just my story or my husband's story, but, um, and it's not all cancer. It's all different kinds of health challenges. And so I've been inspired just by listening to the stories as I'm interviewing the people. And that's the whole purpose of this book is I want it to be a book that you would give someone you cared about that was going through a health issue or maybe their caregiver, because I will tell you, there's nothing more lonely and isolating than sitting there while someone you care about is getting chemo for hours at a time. And so I wanted something where people could just pick up a story and read it here or there, and it might just give them a little lift or a little smile or to say, well, maybe there is something on the other side of this. Yeah, you're not so alone in these moments. Exactly, exactly. And so it's so far it's rewarding in of itself just hearing the stories. I hope other people will feel that way. I expect it to be out in the fall. Awesome. Well, <laughs> why don't you tell people you know, where they can follow up with that, if there's a pre-list for it, and then where they can kind of follow up on some of your other things if they're looking <laughs> to follow up with you. So I have a website that is uh, drrobinhall.com, and it's D-R-R-O-B-I-N Hall, H-A-L-L.com. And if they want to know more about the history of Destination Health, the concierge practice that I started, um, that is still on that website, destinationhealth.com under the about if you go to the tab that says about in history it will tell you about that but you see the new doctor and the team that's there um, so those are the best ways i have the the um, website my website doesn't have a pre-order yet but it will as i get closer to the launch of the book it'll have a pre-order button on there for the book right now i have uh, a free opportunity that someone can download if they want to and that will get them on my mailing list and i'll let them know when we get closer awesome fantastic well thank you so much for being on the show i've appreciated your time and yeah i appreciate talking to you thank you so much i appreciate the opportunity do you feel more educated after listening to this episode of the just dumb enough podcast If you enjoyed the episode or the show, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really like what I'm doing, remember to subscribe for two new episodes every week and check out the over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to me on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you all back here on Monday. Bye bye